Hey everybody, welcome to the Full Frame uh, Podcast. Could you just oh. uh, just uh, take, stop and take it from the top one more time. Okay, okay, you ready? How was, how did the shoot go? The shoot was um, Fast and Furious. Um, it, it went, it went well. I, I was, at the end of all of it, I, I felt uh, really good about how the shoot went. And I think that I had been on so many shoots where I was just sitting there thinking like, oh my God, they're wasting time. They're wasting my time. You know, it, it was just, I, I'd been in that situation so many times that we probably didn't spend enough time on some things on, mm-hmm. on the shoot because I was so intent on, I'm not keeping anybody here more than 10 hours. I, right. We're doing 13 straight days. We're doing, you know, or we've got a half day in the middle or, or off day in the middle for, for some of you. And, and it was just like, like, I, I'm not here to burn anybody out. Um, I'm not here to make anybody unhappy. I'm not here to make anybody feel like they're getting cheated with, on and on and on. Right. And so I think that, I think that it's, it, people are always going to be the hardest part of any, any job. And we really had the best people. And again, keeping that crew so small is the key to that, where it's like, pick 10 people, right. pick Pick ten people that you need if you're doing it on a hundred thousand or even two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand. Like, um, if you need more people than that, your budget should be higher because right. you're doing something that's too big for what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So, so production went really well. It was awesome because our cast was fantastic. Uh, Brad Leland, our star, showed up ready to play on you know day eight when he's you know on his seventh day or whatever um he's 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 telling people like hey perk up like this is this is what we're here to do like this is exciting you know right. it's like it's just that that you can't you can't you can't get energy like that you know you can't pay someone any amount to to bring right. energy like that to the table um and i think that something i'd heard a lot was like hey if you've got an actor that's willing to like carry your gear and like help out your crew like that's awesome and it's like yes you do want that. You want someone that's not going to be like, I'll be in my trailer or where, where is my couscous? You know, it's like, but at the same time, if you, if you let your star actor, whoever they may be, pick up a piece of gear, start to help out crew, start to, you know, it's like there it's, it's unprofessional. And so I think that that was my whole key was it's like, we are the most unprofessional looking team there's that's out there most of us are like 21 um and 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 most of us like are are still in college like this is our first thing and it's like and that was what what jim said when he showed up is he's like this is this is like this it looks like amateur hour but this is super professional like i I don't like i i've been on sets with with much older much more experienced people and it was way less professional than this and that was kind of the whole thing that we that we maintained was it was like I don't want I, I don't even want anything close to to a me too incident. I don't want anything close to someone getting hurt. Like 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 everyone here be on your 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 shiz while we're shooting. Right. And I promise you we will get you out in 10 hours if you right. if you if you are if you practice that militaristic discipline. Um we will make we will not have meal penalties. We will not go over time. Um, and, and I, and I, and I will give everyone rest as, as much as they need it because we're in it for the long run. I, I, and, and, and we're here to make something that, that has qu- consistent quality, even right. if that quality is on a medium level. Um, I don't want a movie that looks super good, looks, looks super bad, looks super good, looks super bad, sounds bad, is bad for other reasons. And then it looks good again. You know, it's like I wanted something that, that had a very consistent look to it. Right. And that, that all starts with the crew. It all starts with making sure. And, and so everyone on the crew, just about everyone I knew from, from school, I had met at either USC or I knew from uh, Fort Worth mm-hmm. and had, had just come up w- the ranks with them and, and had kind of seen them from a distance, got to know them over time. And then said, I, I'm going to need you for something. You know, I, I'm going to need you right. for a favor. I don't know when it's going to come, but just, keep my email, you know, um, stay friends with me. It's, it's coming. And so right. it was, it was really gratifying to finally be able to contact all these people and be like, I got it. Something we're, we're, we're doing it. We're going. Right. And, and that's that, that I would say is the biggest benefit of film school is, mm-hmm. is that that is the only place that you're going to meet very quality, um, talents right. or people who will become very 
important decision makers and for you to all be in that same circle. Yeah. Yeah. The team. Yeah. That's what I found too, is very much the whole hand-me-down films crew is all Mm -hmm. from Mason. So, um, and and yeah, there's something about even crew members that I found later on, um, there's the, the hours spent in those, you know, college days, two o'clock in the morning, and you're still, yes. dude, you know, there's something about that, you know, there's the trust thing, yeah. you know, um, and there's the, you know, that they have put the work ethic in because you were there when they did it. Exactly. So you know that they're going to put in later. Exactly. Um, so awesome. Okay. Well, and and then there, yeah, there were the people too, that I was like, you owe me. I was, yeah, I was right. up until 2 a.m. for you. You owe me, you know, but, but luckily, luckily there, there wasn't, there, that, that, there wasn't much of that. I was just, but there, I, I'm sure, I'm sure there was at least one person that maybe I didn't even know that was like, oh boy, Rob totally did X, Y, and Z for me back in the day. I need to, uh, yeah, yeah, do whatever you need. <laughs> so, right. But, but no, it's, 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 it's on, you, it's on the grounds of friendship, not, not tit for tat. Right. So you shot the film in your hometown? I did. Um, and that was, that was a tough decision because, you know, when you have a hundred K and you're talking about big actors and you're talking about, um, or even medium actors, even small actors, it's like when you, as soon as you move outside of Los Angeles, everything gets more expensive because you're having to move people, you're having to move equipment you're having to, um, do per diems. Fort Worth was, was great. Uh, shot in my hometown, had a lot of hometown help. We just did a screening on Sunday um, in in at Tommy's Hamburgers in Fort Worth, which was one of the locations that popped up the week of because okay. we lost the location. Um, or we had a location that we had been working on for a long time and their their corporate had okayed it. And then we got to the thing and, and we got to the time and they're like, oh, that was a different branch of corporate. We we, we actually don't, don't okay this. You know, so it's like just like crazy things like that where it's like even when you prepare as much as you can, you get it on paper they still pull out and, right. and you're not going to, you know, you're not going to sue them or anything. It's like, it's just, they, they just broke their, their, you know, contract wow. and it's right. just like, ugh, it just stinks, you know? And so it's, so Tommy's was awesome because they came in lickety split. They were like, listen, we're, we're going to be open that day, but it's labor, it's Memorial day, whichever one was in May. Um, so we, we can like set off half the restaurant and hopefully we don't have too much noise going on. And it was perfect. They, they, we, we shot there, we were there for half a day. We bought hamburgers for everybody. Um, and so it was cool to do the screening there. And, and that's just how, how the whole city worked out. It was, um, it was my, my high school where I played football. So it was cool to be filming on that field again, where I'd only been in pads, you know, five years, four years before then. Um, just some some very cool experiences seeing people I hadn't seen for for five or ten years, you know, coming to set, coming and visiting. Um, and and just having a huge, I mean, we wanted that grassroots uh, experience. And I think that that's been an awesome launching point when it comes to our publicity campaign, when it comes to how how many publicity items do we have to exploit in this film? And how do we use each of those to um, to get us where we want to be? And so Fort Worth was was an awesome, huge uh, piece of that, and and that was part of why we shot that. It was part of the the, the benefit, despite the the financial um, burden. So let me ask you, just to hop back kind of into pre production, did you have um, this is a real like kind of nuts and bolts question, but did you Good. have um, accounting or legal help? as you went through yeah. the discussions and the. So we were working with, it was good because uh, Mike had been on a production that had just gone through all of these things. So he was able to work with that production's legal counsel and, and figure out, you know, when it came to contracts, when it came to making sure that we were watertight on mm-hmm. everything like that, we worked with, with, with everything that they had done on that production. Furthermore, we had worked with a company called the Hollywood lawyer, um, we are our legal counsel for last whistle is david young ho kim and he is actually i think now running for office he was he's at sony now and he's he's running for political office um and so so he was on an hourly retainer with us and so he would do very specific things that we needed and whether it was you know making sure that the investment agreement was was watertight whether it was you know drawing up agreements for for a number of other things um, it, it, I definitely, in, in some ways had to educate myself on reading contracts and making mm-hmm. sure, but I definitely with anything that again, would result in 
a lawsuit would result in something much more serious. We wanted to make sure that everything was was with them and was watertight. So, um, you know, lawyers will run you anywhere from four hundred to six hundred dollars an hour. Um, and so you really, you know, we're going into a production. You want at least, you know, two to three thousand dollars set aside for the legal um, side of things uh, because it'll make your job a lot easier. Right. I guess my my further question of that is um, when you're first starting out and you haven't even brought in that first investor, is that coming out of your pocket or? or yep. yeah. So so because we needed the investment contract drawn up, and so at that point I was like, okay, I'm gonna. I'm going to put $200 into a half hour with this lawyer. They're going to drop the contract. And then, um, you know, that's again, kind of the, you know, when you're talking about spending a year on something, $200 isn't, isn't that much, but it was very much the, okay, the die is cast. We're, we're kicking this off. And so if, if there's, if there are, you know, if, if, if you happen, if that happens to be one of your, your connections, if that happens to be one of your friends that, that legal help, then, then maybe you can say, hey, listen, I'll, I'll pay you your full rate. But if you can just, you know, give me until, you know, the first money comes in, right. you know, that would be, I would, so, I would or, or until the project falls apart, I'll pay right. you either way. If you can just give me a month to do it, you know, it's like right. that can, that can be um, a huge help too. It's, it's all about on the first thing, it's all about where you can find the favors. Yeah, um, and where you can maximize production value, and then for the second thing, the the key is that you that you don't want to do that anymore, and that's that's kind of what I'm looking at right now is I'm trying to figure out what the second thing is. Is it's like the budget's going up by, you know, thirty to fifty thousand dollars from what we did before. Even if we did the exact same movie, the budget would go up a lot because I don't I don't want to call for favors anymore. I want to make right. sure that people get paid at least their minimum rate, if not better. Right. Um, and everyone did get paid their minimum rate on this, but because a lot of people have worked their way up because maybe we did pay people the minimum rate. Like I don't want to pay people the same thing twice. You know, it's like everyone, I, I want to advance everybody together and make sure no one's getting ripped off. We talked about production. We talked about working in your hometown and kind of all the, you know, all the freebies and stuff. One that leads me to asking a, a question that we ask kind of everyone who comes on the show is what during this time, what was your nine to five? What were you doing? Um, to kind of pay the bills and whatnot. Cause I think a lot of, I asked that question because a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of up and coming filmmakers, they, they think paying the bills with a nine to five and stuff is like, you know, um, you, you have to do it. Right. So I'm always interested to know what do people do to pay the bills? Well, obviously make sure that, you know, just like in, in budgeting your film, make sure that your budget for you is as low as it can be. So I, you know, I, I try to, that's why I'm trying to like uh, talk to, you know, folks who are, you know, still kind of early on in their career because, you know, once you have a family and things like that, it thinks, you know, your budget gets lots more expensive and it's, and it's super, you know, hard at that point. And, and so I kind of saw that coming on the horizon. I was like, okay, I really got to, you know, eke this out before I, before I get to that point. Mm -hmm. um, but, but absolutely doesn't mean that if you have uh, any number of kids or any number of spouses that you, <laughs> that you can't, um, that you can't still do this. It's, it's just, uh, you know, if, if, especially if you're in a position now where it's like, okay, it's my summer between years of, of college, or it's okay, I'm, you know, I'm just out of college or I'm just about to start college or whatever it may be. Um, if you have any sense that the stars are aligning, you know, take capitalize, capitalize right. in, a, in a way that, you know, won't make you max out a bunch of credit cards or anything. Um, but but capitalize in a way that um, you won't be able to do later on, because at least and I think this is what I kept going back to making the last whistle was at least if I do this. The movie comes out, it does fine, it all goes fine. We don't get any big actors, but we don't waste all the money. You know, is nobody sues us, that sort of thing. Um, at least I can say that I did it. You know, right. at least I can I can say that I got to do the experience and, and I'll always, I'll always, you know, cherish that. So, <laughs> you know, just really lit, try to try to live so that you won't regret losing that that moment when the stars aligned. Right. Um and uh so, so, so what I was doing was a lot of, I was doing commercials, I was doing weddings. Um, I ever, I mean, ever since I was doing those little backyard films, uh, I, my, my mom runs a web design company and, oh, okay. and so she makes websites for, you know, a bunch of small businesses just like hers. Um, you know, I, I wasn't the, the son of any sort of, you know, fortune 500 CEO by any means. 
Um, but what, what, what was cool about that was that a lot of her clients came in, especially like 2008, 2009, they would come in saying, hey, we, we want a commercial, but our, our lowest quote is like $40,000. Right, and, right. and it's from someone that would make us a commercial that we could play on TV, and we don't want that. We just want to put it on YouTube. Right. And so that was kind of the beginning of that movement where it was like, okay, now there's this burgeoning, um, you know, uh, you know, series of, of, you know, kids essentially. And, and people that are just starting out with cameras who are now kind of, you know, we really started to cut my teeth on clients and on making sure that, you know, so, so, so I had a, a, a list of contacts that I was, you know, going back through and saying, Hey, do you, do you need another commercial? Do you, you know, what that I'll, I'll, you know, won't do it for nothing. Um, I'll, but I'll do it for the same as whatever you're getting quoted and, and you know that you like me, you know, and, um, and so, so a lot of that contract work. Um, but I mean, I, I did a lot of uh, random things over over the time. I, I was working for IMAX at the beginning of it. I was in their VR uh, department, and that was kind of fascinating to see behind the scenes. Um, but but IMAX VR since shut down, and, and I could I could kind of I could kind of see what was going on at that point. So I was kind of like, okay, this is you know I, I'm not about to be promoted or anything. You know, right, no right. no one is. Um, so I, I don't feel bad leaving this job and going, uh, to contract work and to do this movie part-time. Um, but, but I, I, I it, it depends when, when you're raising the money for the movie, it's nice to be able to say, I make mo money from this movie when you, the investor does. Um, but investors won't balk if you say, yeah, I, I need, you know, 10 or 15 K out of this, you know, I, the budget's 115 K because, you know, I'm doing the work of all the people that would normally get paid the other seventy-five thousand. Right. You know, that I'm 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 the one that's keeping this from going to two hundred thousand. And most investors will understand that, and and they'll right. say, okay, that's that's you know that's that's fine. You know, you cut cut yourself a check as long as you are writing, directing, producing, um, doing everything under the sun. You know, whatever it may be, um, it's 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 not a bad idea because the the movie will likely go on longer than you expect it to. You know, right. Um, and, and I think that that's the whole effort is it's not so much what's your nine to five going to be for the, the year that you're doing this. It's can you do it in a year? Because, sure. um, you know, you, you can feed yourself for a year uh, and not not blow out, a, you know, your credit cards completely or all these other things. Um, but if if your movie takes two years to make, how are you going to make that other year happen? Right. And so that's the challenge more so than how do you sustain it for a year? Um, but yeah, it was, it was commercials. It was a little bit of time at IMAX. It was, it was a lot of odd jobs. I did some of that. Um, uh, what was it called? The, um, background, uh, casting or whatever, where I would just go stand in the, the stand behind Don Cheadle and pretend to eat a scone for 14 hours or whatever, right. uh, which was super cool. I mean, that was almost its own little film school in the sense that I got to watch TV crews, um, go grossly over time and almost hurt tons of people. Um, and think, wow, so, so this is screwed up at every level then, isn't right. it? You know? <laughs> and I won't name names, but boy, there, there were some, some very, you know, I just huge shows, huge movies that I was shocked at how they, how they treated people. And I was like, how is that? Yeah, even at the top, how, how is this the case? Right. Um, right. and, but it was very educational to see, to see the television directors work, to see the film directors work. Um, it was it was kind of a cool thing that I hadn't really had access to many times before that. Um, well, and that that leads me to a question: like, have you worked on um, big budget sets and stuff like that, particularly in school, or was it kind of that was that kind of that learning lesson there? So, in terms of the the, I mean, there are all sorts of budgets. Um, I I had I had gotten to walk on the set of Dumb and Dumber Two when they were doing some LA pickups. Nice. And so that was my first time on a really, really big set. It was super cool. I got to meet the, the Farrelly's and, and, and the movie itself turned out kind of uh, not to do all that well, but it was, it was cool to see them on the back lot and, and all those things, you know, the days of sneaking on the sets are over because it's just, especially the studios or especially after nine 11, it's just, yeah, you're not really going to get in and everything happens in the sound stages anyway. Any outdoor stuff is always so heavily guarded. You're not really going to learn much from a distance. Um, but I, I think that 
honestly, the, when I was in school, it was a lot of student stuff, a lot of student work. I, I was on some like $2 million movies that I would go and, and watch or try to learn from. Um, I had friends who were assistants to writers and directors, which is an awesome, awesome thing to do right out of school. Um, and before maybe you go shoot your feature or right after. Um, and, and they got a lot of experience. And so I, I would almost be podcasting with them, you know, just in our, our dorm rooms being like, okay, wait, so what'd you do today? What, what does your boss do? Like, how, how do they do this and that? Yeah. Um, I, I can't say I've ever done one of those like master classes or whatever the, the online ones are with like Ron Howard or Scorsese right. or whatever. Um, I probably should. Um, I, I probably should read some more, some more books than I have. Um, but in terms of set experience, it was, it was a lot of the little stuff and not much of the big stuff. And, mm. and, and I wish I did more of the big stuff, but I, I think I learned the most from the little to medium stuff. Yeah. You know, you're not going to learn much from like a, you know, filmmaking 101 set, but, but you will, you will learn things from, from like a, a, you know, graduate uh, level you know, course or something like that. So I would try to sneak into stuff at the school at least. And through pre-production, were you out in LA, living out in LA? Mm -hmm. So, so um, I was, I was split in time between California and Texas, uh, you know, producing and, and, uh, and, but, but the, you know, the business took place in Texas for sure. Um, but it was helpful to, to have, uh, to be able to sit down with someone, uh, in California and talk to them. Um, it's, and, and, uh, yeah, yeah. So I was I was moving around. A lot of my collaborators were were it, collaborators were half and half L.A. and and Fort Worth. We oh, didn't okay. film at all. We didn't film at all in L.A. But we would like one of the things we did was we we rented a car in L.A. through the Turo website, and we got our minimum you know gear needs from Wood and Nickel, which and then we drove it out to to Fort Worth. And that okay. sounds kind of nuts because it's like, okay, well, there's there are companies in Dallas Fort Worth that rent gear, right. um, but some of the some of the prices of those places was crazy. Ridiculous. And so yeah, we were able to get them. We got a much better package that we could put into the back of like a, a Dodge Town and Country for five hundred bucks for two weeks. You know, and it wasn't much. It was some Apple boxes. It was some some Stingers and and some some four by fours. You know, it wasn't anything crazy. Right. Uh, but but even that at that at some of the rental places that were in Texas was was like a couple thousand dollars. It was just like, it was just crazy. Just the lack of infrastructure still that was in Dallas and Fort Worth. Um, it, but it's not a lack of infrastructure for very professional stuff. It's mm -hmm. a lack of infrastructure for the micro budget stuff. Right. And and I and I don't blame them for that because L.A. barely has that. L.A. only has that because it's got so many people that are interested in it. Right. Um, but like I was online with um, what's what's the name of that site? I haven't used it in a while. Um, whatever site sort of is the the uh, the Uber for like film gear or whatever, where you can, you know, is it kit split? It, it, it's not kit split, but it's the one that's like it. Okay. And I was okay. on that site working Sharegrid. with the sales. SharePoint. I yeah. was working with the, the people at SharePoint, being like, "Please, please establish SharePoint in Dallas before I start shooting there, please." You know, and and <laughs> right. and I think they 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 did actually manage. They were they they got it up. They were like, "Okay, all right, fine." You know, I, if, if you think there are people there that will use it, and I I think that we ended up renting maybe an A7S II or like a, our sound guy got some batteries or something through through SharePoint. But it's like you could shoot a whole movie with ShareGrid in Los Angeles. And I think we even probably ShareGridded equipment to Texas that came from us. So, so it's, it's, yeah, I don't even know what the question was. <laughs> I forget, but, that was, but it's still really, really informative. So, um, so uh, once you guys wrapped production um, and you said it was 13 days of production, what then, uh, what was the post process like for you? Were you editing it yourself or did you send it off? I, to I put together the assembly and, and tried to do some some test screenings with, with the assembly just to make it easier on our editor, Carter. That way Carter wasn't having to do um, the, you know, look through every single take, look through every single, he, he really came in and, and truly edited it, truly yeah. took everything I had done and just, just totally did his version of the edit. And I was like, mm -hmm. I love it. It's great. Like, like, like this scene here, maybe blah, 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 this scene here, you know, don't forget about the the thing earlier, but like, it's great. You know, yeah. you, you, you took five minutes out of my movie and, and I'm happy, you know, which right. is, that's just the kind of, I'm, I'm very Thanos-y when it comes to <laughs> the editing. Right. I'm like dead, dead, 
said, you know, and, and even, even the other, you know, producers are sitting there kind of being like, no, 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 that scene's good. Like, don't cut that scene, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, ah, uh, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> so I, it's, uh, it's, it's nice to have, uh, Carter did a great job editing. And, and of course, we had Pauline, who's our assistant editor and she was fantastic yeah. too, because she, she comes in, she, she, right after we finished production, she's there to, uh, to, to crunch it all down, to get the proxies, to sync it all. And yeah. then I'm able to start work with the proxies. And so luckily, you know, I'm sitting here working on the, an old MacBook Pro, you know, so I, I can't process yeah. proxies. I can't, um, you know, rematch everything back into the the software afterward. And so it's great to have Paulina and Carter on both ends of that so that uh, I can at least assemble it and save Carter time and save us budget as a result. Um, and so, so, but, but Carter truly was the editor. I don't mean to say that I, that I did anything that, that he did because he, yeah. he was awesome. But, but anyway, the, the, uh, I, I think that we had a first assembly three weeks, four weeks after we wrapped. Um, wow. And I would have loved to have it sooner because yeah. I, I, you know, especially if you had a DIT or an editor on set, they're kind of going at it as, as you go. Like my, my dream is to someday have an assembly at the, at the wrap party for the yeah. shoot. Um, celebrate with a screening of it exactly and yeah. and with the state of technology you can do that and and so i'm so excited to get there someday because that's that is just that is the coolest thing i think um but uh so so it, it took us i i think we spent three months to get to picture lock okay which which is still pretty fast i, I yeah, think yeah. There, there are still people that that would say that we didn't spend enough time getting the picture lock um and and it was just because I, I knew our our deadline was the November Film Festival, and I knew that we had to have it all processed and everything. Gotcha. So and I think that sound took about six weeks, color took about uh, the same amount of time because they they could work at the same time at least. Mm -hmm. And and we pro and then we went back and redid the sound between the film festival and the uh, and the release, but we did keep the picture the same. Um, and was. So sound and color was that through a post house in la or no uh we are our the brian the dp did did the color um oh, and no. it was it didn't it didn't require a lot of color i had somebody asking about the color on on reddit and um and i and i'm trying to think what i emailed them uh because we we went into a whole other discussion way off the site and um really we shot the whole thing to have sort of a western appearance you know i want gotcha. i wanted sort of like I just love westerns, and and the story itself really is kind of a, a western in a sense, and that's the yeah. pacing that I bring into a lot of the scenes too. I mean, it's like if you if you watch the movie, it's it's kind of like everyone's always got like a gun under the table the whole time, right? Um, there's a lot of like pauses, there's a lot of like twitching, you know. It's like and and so I I need to keep you know kind of experimenting with that, seeing if if it works. Um, but, but it's definitely my, my directorial style, which is just like, everyone's always got the hand on the pistol yeah. and, and there, there are never any guns in any scenes period, but it's, it's that tension that I think is so engaging when it comes to any genre, but especially trauma. Well, what you're describing, you can even tell from the trailer when you watch it, especially the scenes of the guys in the bar or whatnot, like there is tension between every character, even in the trailer, you can tell it from the trailer. That's the idea, thanks. The, it's it's. I, I like characters that listen. I like characters that listen and that speak without without speaking. Yeah. Um. And I like I like when the when the yeah. It's just that's that's what I think is fun. So so that so the color was since it was such a desaturated sort of western feel, and since we shot on the C three hundred Mark II, and mm -hmm. we weren't necessarily dealing with raw footage. Um, it was th this idea that we did a lot of the color in camera because right. we really wouldn't be able to change that much after it's all said and done anyway. Right. Um, even if we did take it to a post house, they would kind of be like, well, we've only got so many stops of dynamic range here. And, you know, it's like, a, we, we, we kind of do what you're looking for. But, and, and, and so that, that's where I kind of said, you know, Brian, I, I think that if, if you have an idea for it, go for it. You, 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 you color it the way that you think is best and, and I'll watch it. And if I see any issues, I'll let you know. But, if I don't see any issues, no one else is, you right. know, no, none of our, our, our audience, which is not a, a filmic audience. Well, if we're making the, you know, the Florida project, then I'd be like, yeah, post house, because this is a festival film. This is, 
for people that know all of this stuff, you know, that they'll know if we're not shooting on anamorphics, they'll know if we're not shooting on Red or Alexa. Right. Um, but we don't, we don't need to go to that expense because, because folks won't see the difference and, and it, it won't change the story. Sure. And, yeah. and sound, sound was one of my favorite parts. This was my first time getting to work with a sound designer. My first time getting to do a five, one mix. And I had an absolute blast. I mean, the, the, you know, I, I'm, I just think that, that it's the sound is 50% of the movie, if not more. Yep. Um, and it was, it was just the, 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 the music was fun too, but even before I get to the music, um, I, I just love to tell the story with, with what you hear in the space mm -hmm. and where it's coming from too. Yeah. And so you, you, you can ask Charlie Moody was our sound designer and, and John Carter was our recordist and mixer um john carter of mars of course and hey, uh, i love that film yeah it's and, and he was telling me that, that <laughs> disney actually invited everyone that they could find named john carter to the john carter premiere no and they shit. had like a row of john carters <laughs> and he's like yeah i was at the premiere it's pretty cool you know and i was like that's funny and i and i met him through through a, 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 a an internship or a fellowship or something and and it was it was the same one where I had first had the the contest for the movie. Oh, okay. And so it's pretty cool to have sort of that through line where it's like, you know, we were in this thing together. You were you saw me on my computer the whole time. I wasn't taking notes. I mean, I, I was, but I was also filling out this application the whole time. Right. He was like, oh, yeah, you did seem a little more involved than everybody else. We were kind of <laughs> wondering who you were trying to impress. <laughs> okay, good to know. Um, so, so, uh, but it's just the sound is so much fun. And you can ask uh, Charlie, who was the designer, how many times I made him redo the the jet flyover. That's that's five five minutes into the movie because I was like, this is this isn't it doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right. right. It doesn't sound right. And he's like he's like ripping his hair out at the end. And this is the only time where I would say, do another take, do another take, do another take, because because it's um because because it's just it's it's that thing that you like i just it was so important to me to get that jet right and i didn't make him do it 50 times he 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 was never he was never about to kill me at any point but um there there the only time i'll ever get extremely like anal about something uh quality wise is when is when you get to the sound design yeah sure and that's yeah that's understandable i mean it is it it, it really so many problems actually can kind of melt away once oh, you're yeah. able to put the proper sound effect in the sound in the proper place. And there were so many people that, that would watch an early cut versus the, the mixed cut and, and ask us what scenes we changed. And they were like, this is different from that first cut I saw. And I was like, no, we just changed the sound. Right. And, and they yeah. were like, wow, you know, or we, yeah, we, 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 and, and so it really was, again, we, we spent long hours, you know, in that booth trying to really make sure everything was right. And again, we had very limited time and we were working, I mean, all of it was, was happening so fast. Um, but, but sound is, and this was some, uh, somebody else on Reddit was like, thank God somebody, you know, cares about sound. Yeah. Um, I, I think that sound is actually the number one thing that's missing from a lot of debut feature films. Yes. Yeah. I completely agree. And the lack of sound, I mean, it was, it was in the, the last Jedi. AMC had to start like putting out notices saying, okay, in the climax of the film, whenever one, the ship flies through the other ship, you may notice the sound will go away. There's no problem with your theater. Please <laughs> stay seated for 15 seconds and wait for, you know, it's because yeah. it's just such a, a shocking thing for there not to be sound. And I think that's so much of last whistle. I wanted to be silent. I didn't want it to be that over, you know, you, you get so many movies now that are overscored. Whereas yeah. you were kind of talking about it's it's a very post rock you know, ambient soundscape um, because I really wanted to forefront okay the the acting and the performances um, and and it's and so the the sound was crucial because you can't have nothing especially if you don't have score you need to have a sound in the room it has to right. sound like the room because um, because otherwise it's going to be like okay there's no there's no music during the scene and there's and the room doesn't sound right you know what the heck is going on um, yeah. Yeah, no, completely. The so was that um, from production through post production, all of that was that all in your business plan, all in your production plan from basically the get go. It was all in my plan, but the the only the the, the pitch deck and the the business plan were were more focused on imagery, similar movies, biographies of people that were working on the movie along with me. Mm -hmm. and and numbers gotcha 
what um what films did you try to connect previous films that you tried to connect in your business plan to the last whistle what did you use for reference yeah so we referenced we basically i I cut together a little sizzle reel and so i went and filmed the my my uh brother's homecoming football game and 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 put that in slow-mo colored it you know desaturated the color um and put it to soho dorado from the friday night lights movie soundtrack Gotcha. Um, the movie I'm actually much more familiar with than the TV show. I, I really didn't watch a lot of the TV show, but I, I had seen the movie, and so it was, you know, I was really trying not to be influenced by it. Um, and 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 honestly, on, on on the back end of sitting here thinking like, well, maybe I should have just copied and pasted, you know. But but um, it's 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 interesting. It's interesting to to think about how it all turned out, and and I'm and I'm thrilled with the finished movie. Um, but so I did that little video sizzle reel to kind of have like a tonal piece. And that was a big help because a lot of people said, yeah, but you don't have any other movies and, and you don't have any short films um, that have won Sundance. So like, who are you? Like, why, right. why, why, how, how do we know that you're not just going to, you know, screw this up? And it's really hard because you, because they, they don't know, you don't know. Um, and so I had that sizzle reel and I'm like, here's, here's what I'm going for. And again, it was filmed on my A7S. It was done, you know, very, with with zero dollars zero cents but it had like emotion to it yeah. and that was actually an interesting thing that, that that turned a lot of people around um but the the movie comps that i used on one it's it, it's a page that's in the uh the, the the pitch deck it's budget the budget of facing the giants which was like a movie that was produced by a large church on the east coast Okay. In like the mid two thousands, that that made millions of dollars because again, yeah. it was kind of that era where there weren't that many movies. You know, right? If if that same movie came out now, I don't think I don't think it would do very well at all. Um. So so I wasn't fooling ourselves with like, hey, we're gonna make all these millions of dollars. But it was like, here here's what our budget is similar to. Right. Tone, um, Friday Night Lights, uh, and then story, We Are Marshall. Gotcha. And and we are Marshalls the McConaughey one where the plane crashes, it kills all the 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 whole team or whatever, and he's left with like four players and has to like build the team back up, you know, and 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 all these things. Right. Um, so it was it was I used those three movies as sort of the the comparison pieces. When you were reaching out for investors, who was it? Friends, family, and friends of friends? Is it or was it businesses? And who who were you looking at? Who were you talking? Well, to? I mean, we we started with with the you know you kind of work out in concentric circles, right. and so we started with you know the people that we had known for a long time. Uh, not not a lot of family, but but definitely some friends, a couple of mentors, and a lot of those were no's. And 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 so we actually found ourselves moving further out in the concentric circles. You know, the all, most of the rich uncles said no, or we'll give you some pennies. You know, and right. so it's just like. I, we appreciate that. That's a good start. Thank you. We'll, and, and we keep going, you know? Yeah. And so everyone that came on though, knew us through someone else, knew us, we had an introduction to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if we didn't know those people all that well, the, the, the effectiveness came from the referral. Yes. And so right. I would almost counter and say that everyone that invested was, was on a referral basis more so than, um, rich uncles and and all those you know tropes that you that you normally hear about right um and each one of them they i mean they wanted the dollars and cents they want the business plan they you know it took pitching it took uh you know had to negotiate the contracts and um and anyone who who kind of just comes into it saying oh well if whoever gets this much money just did it because they 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 were going to get that much anyway um i I think i kind of have two two responses one is uh, even the people that have a ton of access to money don't necessarily spend it the best way. I think that, you know, you, you learn to be good with the budget when you have nothing. Right. Um, sure. and so I think that they're disadvantaged, um, more so than someone in, in our position who's coming at it from like, we're so hungry, you know, we, right. we, if we just had a penny, we would know what to do with that penny. And I think that the other half of it is, um, it's this idea where it's like, well, if you're privileged enough to be able to raise this money, um, then you, you you don't deserve the acclaim or whatever for having done it or whatever. And so I so I, I don't mean to make any comment on wh- how much someone might or might not be privileged. That, that was just a response that I saw on on a lot of things, honestly, where it's just kind of like, oh, 
what well, sounds like you had that much to begin with. So this must have been super easy, you know, or, or so, right. kind of something like that. Not kind of just totally dismissing the idea that that to raise any amount of money, it doesn't matter who you are, and if you're raising it and not just asking for it, that obviously you know you have to. That there's it doesn't have so much to do with privilege as it has to do with the business plan. But I, I think that there there is an interesting idea there, and I think that even in a world where everyone who raised ten dollars did it because they were they were privileged enough to, mm-hmm. I think that everyone has enough privilege to raise $1. Right. And even if you don't have the privilege to raise $10, even if I don't have the privilege to raise a million dollars, everyone has some privilege. And, and I think that it's worth looking at what you have and what you can work with um, more so than poo-pooing what someone else does or doesn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In the same way that, you know, you, you play, you know, the, I, I think that's how golfers use their handicaps where it's like, oh, I can go play golf with Tiger Woods because I know my handicap is 36 and his is, you know, two or whatever. Uh, yeah. And I, and obviously you, you know, anyone knowing golf can hear this and knows that, um, that I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> but from what I think, from what I think that entails is, is kind of, is kind of a good approach where it's, it's, if, if you're criticizing uh, a budget of a movie um it, it it's it's wasting your time because instead you should be looking at well what can i do even if i can't do that right yeah and that's that's all i do myself is i i just look at the much bigger movies and say well i can't do that but what can i do well and that it's a different way of thinking of like okay not every film can be made for every budget but that too. Mm-hmm. certain yeah but certain films can be made for certain budgets and what can you do which exactly. one of those projects can you do? Go and do it and just go yeah. and do it. Um, and, and, and go and do it and do it for, for a budget that makes sense. You know, yeah, that was, exactly. It was, that was what I loved about 100,000 was, and that was my whole goal is if, if someone had given us another 100,000, I would have said no to it because I had seen so many movies get made for two and 300,000 and only make back 100,000. Mm-hmm. And so my goal was let's do the movie for a little over 100. And that way I can say, listen, even if we, we're going to go get you the hundred back plus a little bit, you know, and that's, that's right. what we're going to try to do. Um, and, and um, <laughs> because, because I've seen even my friends who've gone and done this and, and blown it big time, you know, they, they still get this. And, and right. so that was the idea was um, <laughs> I, I'm aware of the reality of the situation and how much money people are losing right now. Right. And so I would like to go in low risk, low reward instead of medium risk, high reward. Right. Sure. Well, and it's super smart. Um, and well, thank you. you. I agree. No, <laughs> please. Yeah, please. Please continue to inflate my ego more than it. Well, it's it's super smart. You also um, hit on I was literally talking to a get, another guest um, two days ago about and this is there's a new kind of philosophy of film of micro budget filmmaking that I'm very fascinated in, and I'm trying to use the podcast to pull it together, not into like a bible or anything, but just as a resource of there seems to be this very um, and the last whistle is a perfect example of hundred thousand you know kind of below even two fifty, but you filmmakers getting a chunk of money together and just going out and doing it. Mm-hmm. And it is much more of a, it's not, um, the stories aren't, um, how do I say it? It's, they're good stories made for the proper budget, still low budget, and it's not the huge crew and it's not all the bells and whistles, right. but they're going out and making solid films. Because they're films, that, they're films that wouldn't that can't be made at, at a higher budget range either. Sure. You know, if, if you right. if you tried to make Last Whistle for a million dollars for three million dollars, the the initial response would be, "Oh my God, it's about a kid dying! Like I don't want to see that." And right. and it would and it wouldn't make its money back. So it's like this this is a, this these movies the the way to do a hundred thousand dollar movie is do something that's that's risky, you know, but but safe at the same time and yeah. almost safe by how risky it is. And it, it kind of goes back to the whole idea of the virality side, the PR side, where it's like, 
either be awesome or be ter so terrible that people can't stop talking about you. Yeah. Because the worst thing you can do at the end of the day is to be totally lukewarm. Sure. Right. Yeah. Go be Sharknado or right. <laughs> get really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a sub. Um, I, I just see a lot of connections because of, and I'm kind of fascinated with it because I see a lot of the connections between kind of the corporate government world that's over here in DC and those there it's very similar because the crew size is very similar well that's because we're all part of the, we're all part of the new world order and so we actually yeah, yeah we, we we're actually part of the group that runs everything and and Hollywood and the government are just two arms of that that group obviously obviously <laughs> you you know this to be the case you're yeah it's east coast west coast it's Hollywood <laughs> it's government it's uh, it, it's a but very you're right. Um, there, there, there really, truly, truly, there are there are similarities in both well, in both spaces. I, I see. It, it's a very craftsman, very workhorse type of methodology. Uh -huh. If that makes any sense, um, it's I don't know how else to put it except that it is a it's the kind of a blue collar way of going about making a film. Yeah, and it's it's because I I think that a lot of the the more blue collar ways into the industry have have started to to go away, because I think what happened was so much of the internet took over and the the influencer side of things made it so that Hollywood didn't need to go find the the new writer, the new director, the new actor. They either had people that were at film festivals and and winning film festivals, or they had people that they they could just rank. YouTube users by list by numbers of subscribers and right. it's like boom let's here here's our new you know so it's kind of this thing where it's it's not like it's a zero sum game and there was only room for x number of people to begin with you know all these agencies have started to spin off digital arms that that can accommodate these uh, new talents mm -hmm. um, and the population is booming and there's always more people to watch there's always more money to be had there's always more streamers to subscribe to there's always more streamers buying there's always more makers making um, it's just this idea that it, it's, it is no longer a, um, there's, there's no, uh, what would it be called? Like, like career path, unless you want to be a producer, the career, right. the career path to be a producer is still very in place. And for a lot of people that ask me, I want to, I want to be a director, but I, I don't have time. I don't have money. I, you know, I, I have to do all these things. Then my, what I usually say is, well, then. It, you know, if you have to have that nine to nine to five job every day of your life until you can become a director, because that's your financial situation. You don't want to go into debt. You don't want to, um, you know, go to college. You don't want to, do, you know, you're just not able to. That's that's fine. Um, be a producer. Right. Um, start start at the bottom of an agency, work your way up in an agency, or start your way, you know, assistant producing and work your way up as an indie producer. Become a producer, and then hire yourself in in movies that you produce. You know, right. it's like produce your way into into the the directing because the producing is the most stable, um, and not entirely stable, but the most stable of all of the positions mm -hmm. um, because it truly is the way that you can can work your way up. And I right. think that. The other thing is like, because like the way you used to do it would be you'd go be a second assistant director and then you'd be an assistant director and then you'd be a second unit director and then you'd be a, a, a film director. Right. And I think that that especially in the, the dawn of, of, sh of short films and using short films to get to get jobs, um, it's not it's not the track anymore. And so yeah. that's exactly what you're talking about, where it's kind of like, how do I how do I plow this field myself, you know, and, and yeah. grow my own you know crop? Because you know, no one's no one's giving me a, a a path to do it anymore. Yeah. Have you? Um. I'd be interested. Have you listened to um Brian Connolly on Film Riot? No. Um, I, I, I I like uh I, I listened to Alex Ferrari. Alex the the, the Indie Film Hustle podcast was. So I'm gonna have Alex on in the next couple of weeks. Cool. Actually. Um. He I was just emailing him yesterday, so he's gonna come on as a guest. Um. But so Ryan Connolly, um, he's down in Texas. He's down in Dallas. I've had him on the podcast. He runs um, the film. He runs Film Ride on YouTube. Uh huh. Um, so, but he does the film. You know, it's film school on YouTube is basically his show. Um, but he did a. He started doing a podcast about a year ago. A couple of other filmmakers. You know, they're in this. They're hugely influential indie filmmakers that have yet to do their first feature. And they even talk about on the podcast the difficulty they're having 
in breaking through and getting to that first feature. Sure. Um, and it, it is just very, you talk about kind of a guy who's literally plowed his own field in terms of creating a career for himself as a filmmaker, still having trouble going into, you know, he's got three to five years worth of content and knowing, showing how he can run a show and doing a number of shorts that have gotten all these views and he's yeah. still having trouble. Well, and it, it's that, that he's, he's, I'm sure I, I know this for sure. I don't know this for sure, but I, I think that the idea is that they, they know enough now that if he went and did a hundred thousand dollar film, they'd be like, well, you're, you're Ryan Connolly. You're, you're this person. You're that person. It's like, you, you, you're better. You're, you're bigger than this. And, and it's kind of the sense that it's like, that's what he would be best at though. Or, or, or maybe he would be best at, you know, a different, but I'm not saying that he has to do, cause it probably is a little better than, than, you know, the last whistle. I'm sure that he's got, you know, more ideas and contacts and what have you in order to, to put something together like that. Um, but it, it's just, it gets super hard because, and this is, this was actually something that I don't talk too much about on last whistle, but it's this idea that you can always go bigger at every point in making a movie, you can go bigger. And, and your, your job, whether you're executive producer, whether you're director, whoever's the decision maker, whoever holds the purse strings, whatever committee works that, the important thing isn't to, to, to maximize your budget. It's to make sure that your budget is not uh, your stumbling block. Because it's like, Yes. You, and that was what we, that was what happened when we got our camera, you know, that was what happened when, whenever we were starting to talk about what actors we wanted in certain roles and things like that. And it's like, while yes, maybe we could get um, John Smith in, in the role for, you know, uh, $50,000 and we would be getting a deal on John Smith. We, we never had an actor come in with that offer. We never had anything close to this, but, but had we gone down a path, we might've come to this point. Right. Had we gotten John Smith for fifty thousand dollars, would have given us X, Y, and Z. But to get there, we would have to ax this, 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 and this. We would have to add in these other costs. Let's say we can even make it work. That it's not even a huge issue. You're still talking about an actor who is not going to want to work six straight days. You know, right. even with that that day of rest, you're talking about an actor who will may want this or that accommodation. Who, um who only wants to work with actors that are of this, you know, stature who won't be outside for a number. And so it's like, yes, this might be the best actor for the value, but it's not the, the best actor for our production. Right. Um, but you're always going to have people that are saying, no, 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 this is a big, th this is a good deal. This is a bargain. Like this is going to, the, the movie is going to be so much better. And, and, and the, but the most common one is really the camera. Where it's like mm -hmm. we can get a red epic dragon smoke screen, you know, P fifty one Mustang, um, you know, for for only five hundred dollars a week more than our Canon Mark C three hundred Mark two, and and my whole thing is, well, I, I it's gonna it's gonna kill all the computers that we're gonna use to editing editing right. ed edit on. We don't need all those stops at dynamic range. We don't need all those color wheels to play with. Like we are not shooting the Florida Project or or right. any of these other you know couple of million dollar movies that need those deep data. You know, uh, we need to shoot 4K, but we need our camera to shoot 4K for a whole day. Right. And we we only have enough. You know, we we only want to rent two or three batteries to do it, and we only want to rent two or three cars to do it, and we need to be able to dump one car during lunch and use it again minutes later. You know. Um, we, it needs to be able to plug into the sound mixer. It needs to be able to do this and that. Our, our DP weighs a hundred pounds. I don't want it to kill him. You know, if he has right. to do, if he has to put it on his shoulder and he loves to do that. And I know he loves to do that. And I know he'll do that even if it's the red Epic smokescreen P51 Mustang, <laughs> but I know for a fact that he will do it until his arms fall off. And so right. I'd rather his arms stay on as he yanks it off the tripod and goes and gets the shot that he wants. And so I think that that's um, probably what the issue they're running into is that at every stage, there's always a point when you can get something way, way better for almost the same price. And the key is to say, yes, well, that would be cool. And while that's neat, it's bigger than our movie. Our movie mm -hmm. is this big. Right. And sure, it's cool to have a couple things that are this big. But if you go to something that's the size of the room, it's like it doesn't fit in the box, right? And and it's going to look out of place as a result. That's it's a. So I I bet that's where they're having the issue. Is that yeah he could go get 
a couple hundred thousand dollars, but, but you know, it's, it's, he knows so much now that I'm sure that he's ready to make a million dollar movie. Right. And, and um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but it was true. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know for sure. What's I'll send you the podcast that they talk about it. Cause oh, yeah. it would be, it would just be, it's fascinating to listen to because it's two very, um, very well-known internet filmmakers who are obviously just on the cusp talking about how difficult it is being on the cusp. And it's just fascinating to listen to them talk about the problems. So, um, so who the person that really nailed this were, were the guys that uh, did that movie Arctic this year with Mads Mikkelsen. Um, the poster is his face. He looks very right. cold. Yes, you know their, their budget that. for that movie was was probably only a couple million, maybe no more than five at least. I'm on the five million. Um, and they shot the whole thing in you know Iceland or Denmark or whatever whatever country Trump is trying to buy right now. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, anyway, they they shot the whole thing there, and it's like they did it with this you know production comp the one production company that they pitched it to who had let them actually you know direct it and edit it themselves you know because all right. the other ones were like yeah we'll we'll take the script and we'll do it but but we're we're bringing on somebody else because we, we want to make it for this amount of money right and so what they had to say was okay we're gonna go with the guys that that want this but they'll do it super cheap because they're not because they'll let us direct it too mm -hmm. um. But it, it was it was very fascinating to hear about all the hurdles they had to overcome and everything where it's like, oh, you're the YouTube guys like, OK, you know, it's OK. Um, and, and how, again, they they almost ended up they they were one of them. One of the guys was one day away from starting a nine to five at a giant tech company. And um, and that was the day that they got the call from from Mads Mikkelsen's reps saying, OK, he'll interview for it. He, we don't wow. think he wants to do it, but he'll interview for it. Interesting. Okay, um, I need to go back and read all about that because I, I so so th that was I I happened to, to that was through that same internship where I met John or fellowship or I I, I forget it, it's it's a talent incubator, um and uh, and they did a a master class with those guys and so okay. I, I'm trying I'm picking my words very carefully because they definitely told us some stories at that like dinner party that that were like they were like you can't tell anybody this and so i, I always anytime i i recommend someone go see arctic i have to like make sure it's like okay what is publicly available information that i can share about the movie you know yeah that's but but that's that's one of those situations where they really did do a good job and they really did launch yeah. their careers as a result and they busted their butts to get there even though at the time you know car companies we're like, you know, at the time they were developing the movie that he, one of the guys was driving around like a free truck because it was, it was on loan from the car company. And they were like, this is part of your, just, just film this going around the country and you can have it, you know, or whatever the deal ended up being. Right. But it's like, they're, they're not nobodies. They're, 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 they're savvy business people that have built their online brands and all they want to do is make a movie. Right. Interesting. So, so, so it, it's that internet stardom can almost be a stumbling block at some point. And I, I think, yes, it would be awesome to have a million subscribers and, and all these other things because it would open a lot more doors uh, for what I want to do. Um, but I, it, that doesn't mean the doors are shut to, to me, who I, I, I never got more than 200 subscribers on anything. I, yeah, I, I suck. I suck at short form content. Yeah. I, yeah. And you get that's a whole nother world where you can get kind of caught up in it and wonder like, why does my, why is my thing like not have tens of thousands of views? And cause everyone is telling you, you should or whatnot. It's really, it's a whole nother thing. Um, to jump back to last whistle, the last part of I wanted to chat was so distribution. What was that like? Were you, did you, um, make the film and go to distributors or did you have, were you talking with distributors as you're in, in pre-production? I wanted to talk to distributors during pre-production. And, okay. and I think that that's the thing that's like, I say that and it's like, oh my gosh, like, boom, like light bulb over my head. Like every, anybody I tell that they're like, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> and it's like, yes, it was brilliant. And no, it wasn't my idea in the first place. And no, it really doesn't work in application. And, and it's, and it, what blows about it is, and I didn't really understand why this was the case, but it, it's almost as hard to get on the phone with, with someone that, that acquires movies. It's almost as hard to do that as it is to get on the phone with, with an executive at a studio and like pitch your script. They're, they're kind of like, uh, it, like, 
I don't want to hear it because I, I almost, I'm almost not supposed to be listening to this. You know, right, I, you call right. off a studio executive and they're going to be like, uh, yeah, nice try guy. That's trying to, you know, get his movie stolen and sue me, you know, bye. Right. It's, it's just, it's, it's a total, you totally bounce off and, and it's not a good way to do it. Um, so, so I, I, it wasn't that that was happening to me at the distributors, but it was just that no one was replying to cold emails. No one was talking to me. Even people I had connections with, I would be like, hey, can I just talk to somebody? Like, hey, producer I interned for, can you just put me on the phone with somebody that's distributing your movie right now? Right. And, and they were like, eh, no. You know, it's like, because they barely are on the phone with them to begin with. And um but there was there was some, uh, the 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 person at Gra that was who was at Gravitas Ventures that moved over to the distributor that picked us up, got on the phone with me during one of his last weeks there, and and he was nice enough to I, I'm sure because he was about to leave he was like you know what screw it I'll talk yeah. to you know this this stupid cold emailer, um, and so so he he was nice enough to chat and and it was when he went to the next company they ended up picking us up for for distribution and 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 I don't really because we got turned down by by tons of distributors. Um, and mostly because we didn't have someone that fit there. It must have one of these 2000 names in it to be considered for distribution list. Right. And, and we kind of came in saying, you know, and, and the issue is that not that the movie can't make money, not that it can't be distributed, but without like a name. And that's always what they ask you is who's in it. Who's the name right. without a name. It doesn't fit their distribution method. And so it's not that they don't think your movie is sellable. It's that they have a very set method and they have a long list of movies that, that qualify for that. And so they're not about to go out and change the way that they do business and make it harder for them to market these other movies when mm -hmm. they can just use the same strategy to market these, these first movies to begin with. Right. And so we ended up with with a newer company and, and they really do like to take mm -hmm. chances and they're really taking chances on the ones that are very audience focused, the ones that get overlooked by the more traditional, you know, middle level uh, groups. Um, so, so I would say that, of course, try to start those distribution talks early, ask them what they want, tell them what your movie is, the genre, who, who you have attached, who you're thinking of attaching. And they'll say, uh, yes, yes, no, maybe. You know, it's like they they know all of this. And and right. and so, but this was actually something I was talking to somebody about yesterday. If you go make a movie for $100,000 and if you can educate yourself enough and, and you know, obviously buy my book on Amazon and call me 10 times and I'll tell you how to, you know, uh, no, I'm joking. But uh, if you can educate yourself enough on distribution or, or even better, if you've been through that cycle once before or you can get someone to tell you every step of it or you study the the Sundance Creative Institute has a great piece on distribution. If you go read the Thunder Road piece that they did, yeah. um, if, if, if you can set aside enough budget to self-distribute, then on 100,000, you should self-distribute. If you get to 250,000, then, then it's it's a tough decision. I, I think that anyone under 500,000 should be doing the, the day and date. If if you don't get offered a day and date deal, um, do it yourself. Go go to distributor, do it yourself. Tell them I sent you so that I get a discount next time I go. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, that's a much more complicated thing. And I know that I've got to do a whole chapter on that whenever I go revisit the, the, the handbook that I put on Amazon, where it's just like, um, you know, here's, here's the, the, the flow chart for, should I get distribution? Should I distribute myself? Yes, you know, no. yeah. What is your name? Does your name start with an A? No, you know, does your name, yeah, it's just like, uh, what would you, yeah, it's, and, and the, 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 the challenge is, um, yeah, just what are you getting offered? What, what do they, what do they provide you? What are you providing you? And, and it's really, again, what, what the one thing that I do agree on with when it comes to Jim Cummings, when it does come to the Thunder Road team, is that the, the distributors right now don't offer much more than you can do yourself, um, assuming they're not uh, giving you a theatrical uh, debut. And, and so that was where we felt there was added value with our distributor was we had theatrical debut. I, we didn't, I, I didn't, you know. Um, we, we didn't have enough money left to, to run a whole theatrical day and date campaign on our own. And, and they, that's where they stepped in and they didn't spend a lot of money, but, um, they, they did, they, they knew what they were supposed to do and they knew what, what, what we needed them to do. And if we had made the movie for much more than we did, then it might be, it might not be such a good financial situation, even with all that they did. But, um, yeah. 
So where's the film? Where can people go and get the film now? I know it's in, I know I saw your photo of it being in Walmart and all these places. Yeah. Where can people go and see the film? Uh, so the film is on iTunes, Amazon, uh, uh, Vudu, uh, Fandango Now, uh, Redbox Instant, not actual Redboxes. Uh, we do have physical DVDs in, in some Walmart locations, so make sure you look it up beforehand. If, God forbid, there's been another uh, Superstore uh, act of violence, you know, hopefully you're not going to risk your life. Luckily, those are kind of, at the time that we're recording this, those have died down. Hopefully they don't, you know, start up again. But that was, that was kind of interesting to have our movie in Walmarts for a week, and then there were crazy acts of violence, and then it was like, well, we had one week. You know, yeah, <laughs> it was like, now right. no one's going to Walmarts because... So anyway, it's, it, it is, it is at Walmart and, um, and, uh, yeah, we're really trying to push people toward Amazon, uh, because I think Amazon prime, um, is, is one of those spots where the, the income for an Amazon title tends to be pushed three to six weeks after the movie comes out, okay. um, because it's so algorithmic and it puts it in front of people enough that they end up finding it and seeing it. And so I've, I've spoken with even the distributor was saying, you know, iTunes is first weekend, Amazon is after that, you know, gotcha. and then everything else is hopefully it goes well, but you, but you, you know, can't, can't know. Um, so go check us out on Amazon. Um, I, my, the book that I keep sort of half mentioning is called Rebel with a Crew, not without. Um, it's, if you just, if you search on Amazon, Rob Smat Rebel with, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll find it. it. It looks much crappier than the Robert Rodriguez, uh, mm -hmm. version. Um, but it's basically just all about not so much me being a rebel, but the fact that to be, to rebel against the system, you need the crew. You need to be right. a rebel with a crew, you know, because otherwise the quality is not going to stand up to the, the, sm the, the bigger, smaller fish that are, that are in your pond. And where can people follow you? Uh, I'm I'm usually uh, at Costco, uh, so okay. I, I start I start in the liquor aisle and I work my way around um, in Wisconsin. Oh, yeah, right I now. see. <laughs> right, I'm actually broadcasting from <laughs> Costco. Um, and oh boy, oh my God, the, this New York sharp cheddar it is great. I just so many samples. Um, it's Kirkland Chardonnay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so uh, I I think I I'm I'm most active on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I think that, you know, Facebook was kind of, we have the last whistle page on Facebook, which is where you can keep up with the, with the movie the most, but mm -hmm. I myself am on Twitter and Instagram under Mad Smatter, but just, you know, search Rob Smat, you'll find me. There's only one of me. Um, Twitter is where I really try to, uh, keep more of the, the filmic stuff and Instagram is, um, Instagram is just my life. So I don't know if that's as interesting, but, but Twitter's where, you know, I, I try to pick fights with indie filmmakers telling people to go make whatever they want to make and worry about the dollars and cents later. Yeah, and, uh, right. That's where you'll find me. <laughs> well, um, Rob, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Because so much of this, again, is exactly what this podcast is about. And uh, your AMA was enlightening, and then this conversation was even more enlightening. So, well, I appreciated uh, the lack of trolls in this conversation. I think that that made it <laughs> that was most productive. Well, well, well thanks for anti-troll. So, <laughs> well, well, thanks for having me, uh, everybody out there. Thanks for listening to. I mean, oh my God, if you made it this far, two parts, geez. <laughs> for folks that still want to deep dive into uh, Robert Smat, I am going to post uh, the link to his AMA. Um, which is how this whole conversation started. I'll post a link to the Last Whistle website um, and we'll post to the Amazon if we can as well so that we can cool. drive people like you want. And, uh, you know, Rob's um, Twitter, Instagram, it'll all be up there in the show notes. So um, you guys can go kind of hog crazy on that. So um, guys, hope this was informative and have a great week. Hey guys, just wanted to remind you that not only can you find the Full Frame Podcast on HMD's website, www.hmdfilms.com, but you can find us on Facebook, and most importantly, you can find us on iTunes, where we would really like if you could leave a review and subscribe. Thanks. Have a great week.